Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. How are you all doing? I'm well full of energy, I promise you. If you're not full of energy just yet, it will come. Because today I'm welcoming the wonderful Julie Perkins, full of energy, life, uh, wise insights, and yeah, so much more passion, joy, a lot of words she will be using in this episode here today. However, I want to start with two questions, actually. And one of those questions has been on my mind in the past, well, even recent past, I would say. The first question is, do you, as a founder or entrepreneur, find yourself consistently or from time to time in a place where you say, I don't feel that passionate anymore about my business. I've lost a little bit of my mojo. How the heck am I going to get out of this? And these are more, this is more than one question, obviously. <laughs> but is it too late for change? Am I going to be able to change? And where to even start? Yeah, so that was, let's say, headline question number one. Question number two is all about, you are a founder, you have some amazing creative ideas, and those ideas, like your product, services, have a huge potential to have a positive impact on society, community, sustainability, the environment, whatever it is. And yet you are your worst critic, i.e. you have thoughts in your mind that are like, um, will anybody buy from me? How am I going to market the service or product? Where to even start? How to scale? And before you even take step number one, you have already stopped yourself because it feels far too overwhelming and most importantly, not joyful. Yeah, anybody who's found themselves there? Well, if so, then Julie is the right guest for you to share a few insights about not only founding businesses, being an entrepreneur, all the ups and downs as an entrepreneur, but also how to get your mojo back, how to have joy in everything you are doing. And she talks about balance in life. I'm pretty sure you all know what my view is on the term work-life balance, but balance in terms of how you feel joy in all the different roles you play in your life. Yeah? And it's not just having to focus on the business. How do you recharge your battery outside of doing your work, even if you feel very passionate about it? But let me tell you a little bit more about Julie. Whatever your business problems may be, she has really lived them and learned how to look forward and survive. From picking herself up after six swamped, witnessing the ins and outs of a business founded in a spare room and launched onto the world stage, and from surviving cancer to writing books, the book's called The Wise Way, and hosting her own podcast, 
Julie is a sought after for her advice and guidance, not only as a business leader, but as a thought leader. And she is the founder of Wise Minds. With a why I want to highlight here in particular. She's passionate about what she does. And I highlight again any role in her life. This might be skiing, wild water swimming, keeping in touch with friends across the world, spending time with her godson, or in her role as a mentor supporting female entrepreneurs to reach their full potential, find their purpose, and take their all-important next steps on the road to business success. She is going to share a lot about who she truly is with us today. She's going to share with us a few insights about her upbringing as a daughter uh, within a very entrepreneurial uh, company and family. Specsavers might ring a bell. Here we go. And how she actually led the expansion across the Netherlands, Northern Europe, and then making the choice to found her own business to help female entrepreneurs, not just found businesses too, but actually make them grow and feel the joy about it. So more to come now from Julie herself. Can't wait to hear your thoughts and feedback about the episode. But without any further ado, let's pop over. Enjoy. Oh, Julie, it's so nice to see you again here today. Hello and welcome to you. Well, hello, Kathleen, and thank you again for having me. Uh, it's great to be back talking. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, me too. And I remember last time we literally had to say at some point, okay, we've got to stop now here. We could have probably talked for the whole day. Uh, it was so engaging. It was so true. And I, when I saw it come up in the diary last week, I thought, gosh, it's ages since I, I've spoken to Kathleen. It was only four weeks ago, but we had such a great conversation then. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where that takes us today. Oh, yes. And you know what? Why don't we delve right into that conversation? First of all, it would be brilliant um, to learn a little bit more about you and share a little bit more with the listeners as well, i.e., what is it you actually do on a day-to-day -day basis to help other individuals? I run my own company called Wise Minds, and I support female entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. And, you know, there's a huge gap in that sort of the female entrepreneurs that have started their business and beginning to perhaps feel frustrated or overwhelmed or maybe even falling out of love with what they once loved to do. Hmm. But there's a big gap where you don't think you need support, but actually support is what you need uh, in order to be taking yourself on that next growth wave. And we all think it's our fault, but it's not because uh, companies grow in certain patterns. And that's what I do is work with entrepreneurs to understand that more and to work with those patterns to get onto the next growth wave. That's what I do now. Uh, I, I used to work and I still work a little bit with Specsavers. I had a wonderful career. There's very few people that can say they had a wonderful career. And I loved it. And thought to myself, how can this incredible experience of learning that I've had, how can that benefit young female founders now to be able to grow and accelerate a little bit quicker than what I did? Like <laughs> sort of say, how can I shorten your journey of learning? So that's a little bit what I do. So wise minds, yeah. 
Well, first of all, thank you for doing that. When I read your bio and I read a little bit more about you, a lot of what was described really resonated with me, in particular the points upon sometimes you may feel a dip in your purpose. And you may be asking yourself, so why did I start this business? And kind of wonder, how am I going to get back on track? And is that the right track? So support is definitely helpful. And that's something I've experienced and few people I support um, experience as well. So really important. But also, when you are an entrepreneur, you have a clear vision. Or often we start out with a clear vision, why we are doing it, what we are trying to achieve. But life isn't always the straightforward path. So so what are some of the obstacles we may be experiencing that um, we need support with and help with as well? And I thank you so much for building a real community as well. As to whether it's female founders, male founders, and anything in between, it's so important to have a community and highlight that here often it can feel damn lonely being an entrepreneur Mm. Uh, so yeah thank you for doing all of that and much much more well especially that last one Kathleen I mean when you're you know the expression the old expression it's lonely at the top how do you ensure that you it's not lonely for you and community is a huge part and connection is a massive part of it um, as we both know as founders (laughs) You know, that loneliness of, it's not, you know, when you say lonely, people go, oh, it's, it's not that definition of loneliness. It's the it's the isolation of who do I go to? What do I do? I wish I had someone to, you know, spar with. Or actually, I just wish sometimes I had someone to have a laugh with. You know, it goes as simply as that. It yeah. really does. So who do you go to when you need a proper laugh? <laughs> well, it's a really good question because, you know, I go by the fact that actually growing businesses should be fun. It should be joy because having this opportunity to grow a business is often from something that you truly believe. So it's going to be very aligned with, you know, how you look at life. So when it's aligned, it should be full of joy. So it's important to make that a part of the sort of register of how I'm doing. And we always look at it in terms of sales and performance, but actually joy and fun is a big part. And of course, first surrounding yourself by people in your business that understand and believe the same as you, even in different ways, are they aligned? You'll often become a part of the tribe. But of course, you've always got to sort of be prepared to sort of keep that laughter going with all parts of your life. And I think it really comes with not necessarily whom, it's how you turn up to all your other social roles and events and that ability to have that space between you and your business so that you have the space to turn up with friends, with family, um, you know, in every situation. Even networking events can be a bit of a laugh when you turn up as your best self. But in order to do that, you kind of have to leave the business at the door, which means having that space between you and what you do as a founder, you know, so you don't want to be dragging it and friends going, oh, hey, how are you? And you go, oh, fine, but the business is, you know, the invites start to dry up. So it's about creating that space as uh, as founders in order that we can turn up and others and be open to have a good laugh, have the energy to have a good laugh. So who do I go to? Well, hopefully everybody. <laughs> 
But uh, I, I'd probably check in with myself first uh, to have a bit of a laugh and to make sure I'm doing the things, the roles in life that I do and making sure I've got that balance. And I don't mean balance in terms of hours of time spent, that balance between how do I shift from here to there? How do I have that space so I can shift? There, there was so much in what you have just said, and I try to go through it point by point. But that shift that you just mentioned at the end sounded so easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> in my world, not always quite that easy. No. I've, I, I'm with you. I've learned to, when I meet friends and so on, not to talk about business. Sometimes it comes up naturally, absolutely. Mm. But it is about meeting as humans. And, you know, it's just being present, having a laugh together and talking about anything really we are curious about. However, making this shift for yourself where you can also mentally switch off mm. and not be worried if it's worried that you're experiencing or just thinking about a certain encounter you have had with somebody, whatever it was in your business. I find that often very, very difficult. Yeah. And and my husband is, is a entrepreneur as well and so I see it also from an outside perspective in him how often he lies awake and he is thinking and, and worrying and so on and yeah long story short how do you make that shift what helps you there one of the biggest learning moments I had uh, in my journey and that was how do you distinguish yourself from your company and especially in the early stages or when you're under pressure, basically it is what you're thinking about. You know, it is that baby, it is that new thing. And you're constantly looking at it as that, you know, what do I have to do? How can I make it grow? How can I make people love my sort of ugly baby? You know, because no one loves it as much as you at the beginning, right? So it becomes all encompassing. And I think people understand it when you, you know, start off. But a lot of the challenges, including my own, when I was opening Savers in the Netherlands, is that it's so fast moving that you, everything merges. And one of the big journeys I think that I've learned, and it nearly was one of my biggest failures, uh, it's only a failure if I don't do anything about it, by the way, so it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But one of those biggest challenges was how do you recognize when you and your company are the same? And then how do you take the step out? Because unless you do that and have the space, it's very difficult to be able to lead it into the future. And that's the same with any situation. If you're in it, you can't lead it. But probably no new message there. So how do you extract yourself? And we work very much on Working back with the entrepreneur, and I had to do exactly the same back at when I was leading Space Savers, is take yourself back. What's your purpose? What's your values? How do your passions in life channel into your company? How do you channel it into your company? And what we do is we spend time separating the two. We're not separating the person from the business, but what I'm saying is this is who you are, What's the essence of you that you place into your business purpose and organize, uh, you know, organizational values? Not your whole you. How do you transpose that uh, into the company so that your values and your purpose 
how you live wasn't actually, oh, but by the way, that's exactly what's on the plaque on the wall. I don't believe there should be a plaque, by the way, but I'm just using it as an example. Yeah. And um, this space allows that to look upon it. And that's a very important part. But the actual thing that you can't put on any advert is the feel of freedom once you've done it. Because suddenly you are yourself again and you're thinking, oh, my gosh. And then you realize how much you are, how many roles you have in life, whether it's family, mother, father, uh, friend, volunteer. And that this powerhouse of your inner voice or your purpose and your values can be put in the right way in each of those roles including your company. And that's what I define as the balance of life and the leadership of yourself. And it was so changing for me because having that channel could help me take better decisions, help me organize things better. And the most important thing for founders, help them let go. And not just of processes, people, but also understand how to have space in their mind to think about other things like a joke they can back with their friends <laughs> that's not to do about business <laughs> it gives space in the mind as well and and I think it's it's interesting when I look at the entrepreneurs that I work with and we do feedback afterwards and I say oh what's the greatest change and you go you're hoping there for you know the advert of wonderment that you can place and stuff like that and they go connecting back with myself and defining it because that they don't you don't realize the power that has when it has a space between you and your company it's just breath it's a breathing and then you can put the essence view the, the the essence it needs rather than build a company around you where other people are trying to get in and help you but they can't because you're like going oh sorry um it doesn't exactly agree with exactly what i think so that's where we can create plateaus in growth and chugging, and which was my greatest business learning of my life, I think, for sure. I sometimes wonder with regards to creating space as to whether founders also need to create space in terms of having a break from the business. And that's mm. also easier said than done. I have always been someone in the corporate world, uh, your spec savers in that case, as well as outside uh, of it now in my own business as an entrepreneur, I've always found it hard to switch off and to have a bit of distance in between. Yeah. And I felt even when I'm on holiday and I see other people, other entrepreneurs do that as well, I was constantly on, I need to respond, otherwise I'm not mm. going to land this gig, you know. And I've learned in particular over the last 18, 24 months, so it hasn't been too long to take time out. And mm -hmm. where I literally ruthlessly say, no, this time is protected. There, yeah. There's no work. There's no appointment. There's nothing happening. And the creativity and sense of purpose I come back with is completely different. And I, I, I lift that, by the way, in any of my roles. Uh, in my, my love relationship is really important as well to have time for myself in between and, and a bit of distance yeah. in order kind of to reconnect on a deeper level. Now, before we hit the record button, we were talking about your summer adventure so far. At yes. least. <laughs> so, so what's your perspective on building that time out from time to yeah. time? Yeah. I mean, obviously, as a founder, uh, and you'll understand in 
quite a different way, you know, so the same way in in your context is that it's very, people don't switch off. It's very difficult as a family because you're often very creative. Your mind is coming all the time. And one of the things is if I take time out and I don't have an energy button to put or, or focus to put things on, I just create new shiny toys, which is fun and it's great, but actually doesn't solve the solution of what I was leaving for, which was mm-hmm. the overwhelm. So I have these moments, which I've had to have, because I just put recently put my one part of my course, Who Am I, um, online. Growth begins with you. And it took six months. I think it nearly, you know, not literally, but I think it really finished me off. I was exhausted because it is very challenging taking a course that you do and putting it online. So I needed to take time out. I couldn't just leave it. So I sort of, what I sort of do is create strategic space. So what's the purpose of that space and that break that I wanted in July? And what shall I do with it uh, in it? What's the point of it? Because I can't just switch off. So I said, what if, what's the problem I'm trying to undo? Is it overwhelm? Is it exhaustion? Is it too much work? And once you can discover that, what I did was I spent July doing other things, like fun things like volunteering um, for the Island Games. I'm not in it. You probably won't see the picture of me. I'm not an athlete, uh, but I hosted and I volunteered for it. But that was beautiful. But I knew that my mind would be working on wise minds in between. So I took that time to also in the morning to balance and reground to my purpose and values. It's my go-to. It's Okay, what's been the trouble? What's been pulling over the last three months? What's not aligned to what I believe? What's causing me the upset or the overwhelm? And journaling to a very, very specific question. And I found that really, really helped to start discovering why I needed that break. Of course, everyone needs a break, but why specifically, what was I recovering from? Um as to say, as entrepreneurs, we're not scared of hard work. That's never the point. But there was something that just felt like hard work. And it shouldn't. It should be seamless. So discovering that was a really sort of fun thing to do. And it kept my mind focused on Wise Minds, but in a way that I needed to. And I had this wonderful two-week break volunteering for the Island Games. It was so much fun. You know, old-style leadership of, you know, Oh, the bus hasn't turned up. How do I get seven rifle shooters over to the, off the island? It was more fun. It was like, you know, good old sort of startup leadership fun. Uh, so, yeah, it was good. But but actually giving my mind something to focus on was very important. Otherwise, it would have just invented shiny new things. And, it, and sometimes you need that. But in this case, I didn't. I didn't need another list. I needed to sort of what that issue was and then how do I make myself redundant from that position to place myself on a new position knowing what I knew uh but you got to do the work uh and um otherwise this brain goes into shiny inventions there's <laughs> no way I could have room for that you you sound so incredibly intentional about what you do, how you do it, what you focus or don't focus on. But before I delve into the next question, please remind me either at the end of the show or afterwards to add a link to the Island Games to the show notes. Because if you are like me, you may have 
somewhat heard of it, but you haven't gotten a clue what it really is. It's super interesting to read about it here, right from Julie. Um, so let's promote it a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun, and it it's there to inspire islanders yeah. uh, who live in small populations to sport, come together, team. It's it's a lot of fun. The next next one's in the Orkney Isles. So uh, yeah. What what a fantastic reason to finally um, visit them. Yeah, I know. The beautiful, apparently. Absolutely beautiful. Stunning. And you know what? Sometimes entrepreneurship feels like being an island as well. So speaking again of your definition of loneliness, right? Being Feeling sometimes a bit isolated in terms of bouncing thoughts off right away going to my IT person <laughs> that I usually trust that's suddenly not there anymore. Um, and at the same time, as an entrepreneur, in my experience, it can feel really fulfilling. Uh, there's a lot of ownership you can create and have to create your own purpose. And it can feel really liberated uh, as well. And I hear that quite often from people who live on islands yeah. who say to me, well, we are not getting involved in all of these politics um we have a really strong community around here because you more deliberately built those communities yeah. so there are pros and cons right and i just yeah. thought it's actually pretty comparable i think it's very comparable i think it's a great comparison um you know you've got the island life and it, it encourages you as with founders especially in the early stages you've got to be very self-sufficient very self-responsible because there's not like this huge array of population out there. You've got to be self-accountable for finding solutions and availability and what support that you need. So, uh, and it sometimes seems like a long way off to be able to cross over the sea uh, to, to kind of feel connected to others. So it's a very good analogy. Very good. Loving this. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's let's add that link. However, I'm coming back to being intentional. And you were talking about those shiny new ideas, you know, and services, products you could potentially create, and um, that you are also being intentional intentional about why you want to have this break, why you are going to have a bit of distance, and taking this time off. And I'm really curious to hear what are your whys? What whys have you identified in the past? Yeah, I think it's a really important hub of what everything, the decisions that you make go around is, you know, the whys, the vision, and what are you trying to achieve? What change are you trying to achieve as a founder, um, as a leader? Of, of change, you know, be it in a small way or a large way. And I think the important thing is to make sure that it is a hub of what is clearly defined, your vision, purpose and values and who you are. And the first question to ask yourself when it feels uneasy, it's, you know, it is discipline and, you know, that's very, very important and an intention you've got to understand what you're moving from, what, what joy is for you. And it's a big question I ask entrepreneurs is, what does joy mean to you? What does living the life that you want, what does it truly mean? What does that mean? What does sadness mean? Because it, And what does freedom mean? Because it's very important definitions right at the beginning. 
because when it gets tough and it gets a rocky road and it will you know i always laugh at these things going i made a seven billion waking up this morning it's just it, it, it's never like that it's a rocky road yeah. so you've got to understand what you're aiming for in terms of what does freedom mean and actually sometimes we always say about life balance which is my fight completely sometimes with this whole thing work-life balance it's actually the balance you have to define what's going to bring you balance because it's different for everybody and I know mine uh, is joy and freedom is where it feels seamless and the people that I surround myself with with the business it just feels like everything's aligned and that, that you could conquer wherever you want to go and I know that when I feel a gut feel or something feels painful it's often that something is misaligned in what's important to me there it can be the cause of it don't get me wrong I'm not pointing at other people so that is always my first call to when I want time out is the intention of discovering the point rather than the big generic statements, which are also fine. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm overworked, I feel stressed. I actually intentionally say, right, there's lots of things, but what's the main cause of that pull at the moment? And it's often misalignment with values. Something's fighting. And then I make that my intention to solve because I know that having three weeks off and doing nothing and lying down and on bed, it will solve nothing for me because I'll just lie there creating new things and I'll go back in on the hamster wheel and run faster. Yeah. So because I love what I do so much, I don't want to fall out of love with it. So I constantly, every two, three months, and I'm very honest with it, but direct people I work with like Lisa Lot, I said, just not going for a great time. I'm on a discovery mode and give me a couple of weeks and, you know, I think it's a natural thing. It's human. We can't, we don't work on a seamless path. You know, you've got to be able to adjust going back to your island analogy. You are on an island and there's nobody to knock on the door and say, do you know something? You seem a bit down or you seem a bit kind of pressurized. You have to be able to recognize yourself. And I just found for me what worked was defining what does joy and freedom mean to you? What does it truly feel like? Because when it knocks off that, with my purpose and values, uh, I head that way rather than shiny things, shiny things, which of course is a lot of fun. I like shiny things. <laughs> when you just said, I love what I do, that was real. Right? I yeah. could literally feel that and pick up on your joy there. So what does joy mean to you? Well, joy for me is uh, finding founders in the wise minds thing it's literally when founders discover their light bulb moment and it can be different but it's normally aligned uh, around the power of purpose and values and it gets power of purpose you know it gets such a greenwash especially after covid but when you actually do it properly and embed it in what you do and the choices that you make and it starts with the founder and this is going to sound very negative. When the founder finds out that they're the origin of sometimes the problem, and it goes, and they can literally put the pieces together and they say, it all makes sense now. And I say, you've always had the answer, but you're blocking it with things that don't matter. So when you can release that, the answers come to you. I never give people the answer. They've always got it. They're the founder. They're the ones that are passionate about it, but they block themselves by 
holding and trying to control everything. And when they can let go because they're confident in who they are, it flows through. It's like taking off a little dam. When that happens to a founder, that's when I um, would be back with cartwheels. Uh, and I'm not a gymnast, so you can imagine how joyful I have to be to do that. So it's uh, it, it's so much fun because they're like, it just makes sense. And I go, but you, it always would. You've just taken out what doesn't serve you. And, you know, that has to be the fulfilling moment. I like balance of everything. I, I do like balance. And I love it where I think where people have, they think it's really hard what they've got to do. And by one simple adjustment, they can release a dam. It's not the only thing they do, but it's the biggest thing. And then they bring hope back to them. That to me is priceless. So when you work with founders, what are some of the obstacles that the founders share with you or realize themselves? And you said they often are perhaps the obstacle. And I mean, with all the love in the world. Yeah. But what are the obstacles specifically here? Well, I mean, I'm very honest with it. Specifically is that they're trying to hold on to too much. That, that's specifically how we undo that is many different ways. But that's what I mean by the block of the founder, um, especially in those early stages, going back to the ugly baby. And I was sort of liking it to Mount Everest. And you got the summit and founders find themselves stuck at camp four, which is the, sort of the beginning of the death zone. I know that sounds so morbid, but you know, I've got a better relationship. It's not an opening sentence of mine, right? So it's not like, oh, so you're in the death zone. Um, it's, it's kind of opening zone. But if they see it and they're, they're just watching people walk past, just watching people walk past, doing better than them, because they're too heavy to summit. So some of the greatest challenges is they fought so hard to get up to the camp, you know, purpose, the getting there. And, you know, it's tough in survival mode in that wave. So you're hanging on to things, you're hanging on to people and, you know, you've been in survival mode for a lot of times and you forget a lot of things. Why did I start it? Is the clear vision clear? I've taken people on. Did I onboard them? So you kind of arrive at camp four with a lot of things that need to be left behind, but it's hard to leave things behind. It's, you know, letting go of the things that have served you. They've got an emotional attachment. So that's one of the big things that we do is it's taking away what no, longer, what no longer serves. And that starts with finding out who the founder is and bring it. And that can be people as well. That can be, you know, what took you there isn't what's going to take you on to the next wave. Growth is a series of waves. And that letting go has to start with the founder taking that step away from the business. You know, in terms of you know, your, your business is kind of like a teenager and you're still trying to feed it milk type thing. You know, it's easy, but they need to do that because you can't, I just remember people come up to me and go, delegate you, delegate. It's not as simple as that because in order to delegate, you need to surround yourself by an infrastructure, people you trust, people who think the same as you, Otherwise, you delegate and you just delegate a little bit part of it. And then you're going, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? But to let go, you need to solve a lot of other things first. Um, purpose, values, clarity. How do you gather the people together 
on those purpose and values. Like I say, what do you celebrate? What you celebrate is more important than you think. Because what you need to be celebrating is the change that you want to make, the vision, it's the outcome of that vision. That's how you unify people. But we celebrate things like sales or new clients. And that doesn't help you bond and unite people. So the biggest challenge and the answer to it in this case scenario is look at yourself and ask the question, are you still doing what you love and love what you do? You said, I said, I love what I do. You can hear it. I'm so aligned with it. And then if the answer is no, is make yourself redundant from that current position. Ask yourself where you want to be on the new wave coming forward. And then understand what do you need to get there? Who do you need to lead that old wave or help you lead the old wave in order to do it? Constantly making yourself redundant. Sometimes I go, right, how do I make myself redundant this quarter? And I'm loving what I do. So I go, I don't need to. The world's going well. I'm still on this wave. Quite often, as with July, I made myself redundant. I've repositioned myself and taken on this amazing sales girl. And so that's how you can do it. So it's um, in simple form. I think the biggest thing is holding on. And that it was the basis of my story. It was the original one at Specsavers when, you know, I was galloping on this wave of expansion in the Netherlands and it just was chugging. But I was holding on to this wave and the new wave was trying to slap me in the face coming past. So I was riding two waves, like, you know, trying to chase the new wave coming forward. And I think that's one of our biggest questions we should ask ourselves. We don't always do every day what we love, but the essence of it, are we still connected with what we do? And I think that's very, very important. Specsavers will play a large role here in this conversation as well. And I, I keep myself holding, or I'm holding myself back from jumping right into it because there's so much to talk about. Um, but you mentioned, think about what no longer serves you. Right. Mm-hmm. And you said it could be people, it could be structures and processes and so on and so forth. And I think it's really important that we define that for ourselves. How do we know that something doesn't serve us anymore? Because you could say, I let go of a certain service in my more service oriented industry where I say it doesn't bring in enough income. Right. Mm-hmm. OK. Mm-hmm. But there are different points of view. And for me, one is. What's literally dragging energy out of me? I have let go of working with organizations or in particular one organization that brought income in, a good Mm. base income each year, but it was compromising my value so much. I resented the collaboration. I had constant negative energy. I went to moan um, at my husband, not at my husband, up with him. uh, And he was patiently listening until he said, do you actually notice how often you talk about them? Yeah. And how wound up you get. Like, oh, that's actually good input. And I noticed it myself, but it often is really useful to just hear it from others. Yeah. And I knew it doesn't any longer serve me. I've got to let go because I need this energy and I want this energy in other areas. Yeah. And I think that's it's it's a very important point. And sometimes you feel it as the founder, but if you've got a team, is it's 
when you've got your vision, and this is one of the things you've got you and your vision, and you've got a customer journey. So I always say to the founders, put your customer there and look at their journey towards the change that you want to make. Then ask yourselves, how do I support that with processes? How do I support that with the team? How do I support it with the suppliers? So you're kind of building like a layered cape uh, underneath it. And then understand what purpose and values is getting there. And start circling. And we're talking a sort of a very simple exercise, but it's a starting point. Circling what's misaligned with what your values are as a company. And quite often it's an early supplier. And that's not because they're a bad supplier. It's just they're just not on that same alignment page with you, that beliefs. And that can be because we haven't onboarded them correctly at the beginning. Or it can be a member of staff. Or it can be a process um, that we we take that is just not being used. It's like a map going, it's like a cul-de-sac now. So you can start really understanding what processes, what people help you get to the end. But to make it that space, put your customer first, your vision, and map out step by step towards solving their pain. And then do, uh, as I always, this is very, very quick explanation, do your process, who supports it in your direct team, who supports it in your indirect team. Start circling. Where are the pain points for you, for your team? Because you've got a bigger team. It's not just... You know, it's not just about about you, but where is it misaligned? Where is it taking energy and not putting it back in? And it's a very starting point to actually have a look saying, you know, and quite often, going back to the Specsavers one, this was good 20 years ago now. You know, the problem is often the founder. It's it's where you've got the team and you know, the, the process supporting keeps coming back to the founder, keeps coming back to the founder. So you've got this beautiful company that's trying to develop, but you're supporting it with an organizational structure that's a startup organizational structure. And how do you move things forward that you're leading the wave that's important for a founder to leave, uh, to lead, sorry. And that's very, very important. And and releasing the dam, as we said right at the beginning, replacing you and letting people be the best they can be in the space that you've created. That's often the starting point, but it can also be suppliers, processes, and it's just about systematically going through, but you've got to put the customer first and the purpose and the purpose at the end, because if it's not purpose-led, it becomes personal. So you've got to put the customer first and the and, and the purpose, the change that you're trying to make, because then you're looking upon it. You have shifted your customer from spec savers to wise minds. That the customer itself has changed. Maybe there are some parallels. <laughs> but yeah. how how did you actually get to know your customers to understand how you can put them first and really serve them in the best way possible? Yeah, I mean, of course, ideas come from great opportunities. And I was at this pitching event. I mean, Specsavers was just brilliant. I'm still part of it. I, you know, this this company taught me a lot with partnerships and stuff like this. But how I did was, I was at this pitching event, and um, it was a female pitching event. Uh, there was five people in the final, and they all came on, and you've got the panel, you know, and they're sitting there selling their dream, and there's one winner. 
And I knew who the winner was going to be before they'd even started because, of course, investment comes to a short runway and suddenly they think they can scale. And the other four ideas were good for community, for making lives better. And I thought to myself, what happened to those dreams? I thought, where did they go? Where will they go? And I thought to myself, why would I not set up a company that makes sure that the growth of a company or success of a company remains with the founder? Why should it be determined by somebody else? So even if you've got to knock on the door for investment, I want to make sure they knock on that door correctly. That's, that's a part of it. And, you know, how do they present themselves as a viable business or an option? And how do they continue living their dreams? And, and that's how it all started was what happened to their dreams. And uh, um, and that's why I began. I thought, I, I think I can support that. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs don't even think that help is available to them or support is available. Mm. And often we're so busy, we think, have I got really time to go on a course? You know, my gosh, have I got time to go train myself? But this is why it's just done with the entrepreneur in mind. And that's how I shifted. And, you know, just thought, I've actually I've got something to bring that group of people. And it's it's just so much fun. You know, there's some really great things that people are inventing and creating. You know, I know that we go on and we hear about the media version of, um, the you know, the world, sustainability, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, it is a big challenge for sure. But there isn't going to be one thing that solves it. But I just think if there's a thousand of Agnes's or a thousand of Levises or Chapoles, that's the way we save it, step by step. And I'm glad I'm a part of that. And did you win that competition? <laughs> there was a, a person that won it. I was watching it. And I, oh. I, I just I always said I would never go and watch. I just thought, why am I here watching someone lose and win dreams? I just, and I paid to do it. You know, I'm just like this, what am I here for? I thought I'll start a company that sort of, you know, not um, who, who helps people that don't win. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it's great. And I think, you know, if we want to make a difference, it is step by step. It's everybody taking one step. We can't wait for one thing to happen. Um, and then you enter a world where there are really good things happening. And if we can support that and and really help getting good ideas into communities mm -hmm. for recycling, for making um, sustainability more every day for everybody. I'm, I'm like this. I'm right in there. I love yeah. it. <laughs> Clearly you do. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of individuals contributing to the greater good. If we are waiting for politicians to uh, initiate the big changes in the world that are needed rather sooner than later, 
we can wait for a long, long time and probably it's not going to improve anything. And I'm being very harsh here, I know, but currently I'm not the best supporter of politics, um, in all fairness. And I think it needs the greater community to come together and take consistently small steps. Yeah. And we all need help. Think? I think it's always a combination. It's like with everything. It's a combination of everything. There's not one thing. There's not going to be a Harry Potter moment where sprinkle dust comes down and solves our problems. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've got to stop waiting for that headline that's going to do it and understand how to read the headlines and to read beyond the newspapers and to read about how we can be a part of it. Because if everyone took one step forward and actually worked in terms of, right, what can I do better? But we're all waiting for this and that to happen. Um, but there are some really interesting things coming on and you start to hear about great ideas about, you know, land and material and stuff like that. But of course, in order to help that, we've got to turn it from being the inventions and the innovations into something that can be made every day. And that's what I try and do with, I don't have the ideas, you know, like Agnes's for Mended, Agnes and Dan for Mended. You know, they're about sort of re- recycling genes, but reusing genes and mending genes. And I thought, when they first, this is an awful, first said, I said, what's your business do? And they said, well, we mend and repair all to genes. And we kind of went, it's a thing. Face as young people went, yes, it is. Yeah. And I just thought, right. You know, but you don't, you're aware of that. How can we take these messages and take them beyond the early adopters into how do we make a company that can be integrated into a greater person's, you know, a greater market? And that's what I love doing, um, is making their great idea, which young people and first adopters love. How can we give it to more people to make that dent that it needs to? So that's a little bit about what I do and uh and you can see, as I'm saying to the story, I just still laugh. Agnes always said, she went, yes, it is a thing. Just looking at an old person going, it's, it's, it is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the cool thing is how much you get educated on that journey. Yeah. Yeah. As to whether you knew about it before or not, you know about it now. And now you can support it. And there is so much greatness out there we don't know about it. I, I said when we um were traveling we're traveling Ireland uh, over the last few weeks and um, had some time to think and talk and meaningful conversations. And um, I don't know how we ended up talking about it, but I said there are so many countries or not so many, but there are countries out there, the Netherlands being one of them, Denmark, Sweden, who have really fantastic concepts in bringing generations together and yeah. therefore relief um, countries from had investment into too many care homes that need to be organized by the state or are often organized by the state, funded by the state, and so on and so forth. There are great models out there. And you see teeny tiny islands of these models in other countries too, but it hasn't quite evolved yet. And I said to, to my husband, how come we are not paying more attention to what other countries are doing really well? And try to initiate similar concepts in other countries and then help countries perhaps improve in certain areas we might be quite good at. Why don't we collaborate more? And I thought about, or that took me towards ego, 
not taking the time to do that, thinking we are better anyway, and it doesn't make any sense, whatever our mindset puts in our ways. And yeah. I think to, to close that um, cycle of my waffle again to what you said earlier on, you give yourself an opportunity to expand your perspective mm. and to perhaps share some great ideas and to scale them and to help other people benefit from them as well. Um, mm. and, and I think that's what's really needed in this world. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It's not waffle because it's a big question. It's collaboration. There's so many good ideas, even in the countries that you listed. But how can we get together in order to make it bigger? And there's, there's a very interesting book. It tells you to read it. It's, it's called Digital Darwin, Darwinism, edition two. And it gives the example of electricity. So it says, how many decades do you think it took before electricity became part of everyday life and you're going well surely something so amazing must have taken 30 seconds and everyone was queuing up to go I need electricity <laughs> but in fact for decades it still remained as a rich person's way of lighting their Christmas trees mm. and um, this beautiful example it wasn't until factories were redesigned from scratch that electricity could become part of the process because what happens is we try and put these great inventions on the way things work now so the factories were very designed as material comes in we make something we export it so the factory was in a three-room shape and so electricity like oh well where does it fit in oh i don't know yet let's put it in a light bulb let's put it in a whole thing when factories had to be reinvented to be bigger in terms of accommodating it, they could design it with the process that electricity could bring to mind. So is the answer that we've got these incredible ideas, but we ask the wrong question. So when we're trying to change something, it's, you know, and I read that it listened to this great podcast because as an example of education, are we saying, right, how do we bring education up to the level of today? Or why not ask a bigger question, a better question? Why educate our children? Full stop. And it brings different questions in. And perhaps if we take these great inventions and work out how to not just fit them into the society or the way we live today, but into a bigger place, maybe that is the answer why things get stuck. Perhaps. Big question, of course. It's a very big question, but you know what? A lovely question we can put out to the listeners. Yes, uh, indeed. Because I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. And perhaps even some additional ideas that you may be seeing and experiencing in where you live, you know, that could really improve maybe not society as such, but at least smaller communities, education, whatever it is. Ah, gosh. Um, there's already a vibe inside of me that says, oh, I want to delve deeper into this topic. However, there is one more question I have with you with regards to wise minds. You are working with female founders. Mm -hmm. How come you decided to work with female founders in particular? Well, from the pitch event I'd gone to, and I think that uh, female founders... There's a lot of information about, you know, some of the struggles that female founders have in growing their business. But I don't see it necessarily as a gender issue. I want to work with women to understand that in order to grow a business, you need numerous traits. You need feminine traits and masculine traits. And 
A lot of the way is the way that we think. Okay, it's again, it's a big statement. But I want to support female entrepreneurs to find that power is to extract them and understand who they are as a leader. And I think I have been a female founder by myself. I can work out and understand some of the struggles that we can have with all of the roles that we have in our lives um, and the multi-roles and that self-pressure that we put upon ourselves to do what we've been taught intrinsically, intrinsically, oh my gosh, if I said that right, intrinsically, or something given to us by society, but still very much exists. And how do we power ourselves up by understanding who we are in order that we can have those roles, we can think about that balance. And that's something that I know is a very important starting point, the power of having your own voice. And I think that's something that I know benefited me, but I majorly think it's a female thing, but it's something that somebody with a lot of feminine traits of uh, togetherness, cohesiveness, of um, more gut feel, you know, can struggle with. And I try to provide clarity for that in who they are so that they can go on and lead it forward. You know, that's my main passion. It's not so much about the females. It's about some of the struggles that we face with the multi-roles that we often play. And I believe in the right way, if you look at it, you can have it all. It doesn't mean it's easy, but you can have it all. Uh, and I think that's why I attach myself to the female founder side. Um, and, you know, statistically, uh, women are more likely to start beneficial community projects and businesses. And I'm very passionate about those. So, um, yeah, I like that. Uh, I, I have a very strong female role model in my life as well, and my mother. Uh, and, and, of course, my father as well. Um, so, you know, they've been a big part of that. And I think when you grow up with that, you want to say to and to support people to go, you can have it all. It is possible in order to balance it. So I think that's probably why I take that choice. Uh, lovely what you've just said and that you highlighted some of those female traits as well. It immediately made me remind myself of the battle I constantly have with guilt um, yeah. One female trait is we are nurturers, we care, right? Uh, and I'm not saying men don't, absolutely not. But from an evolution perspective, men were the hunters, women looked after the family. And mm. oh, the, the amount of times I struggle with the guilt factor, oh, I haven't managed to pick up my son from nursery, my husband mm. went, and so on and so forth. I am working too much. Every time my son says, oh, mama is working. I'm like, oh, mm. no, I should have more time. And my husband's far more relaxed about that, yeah. for example. Because he don't think like you. But, yeah. but even with those traits, it's often the traits under pressure. When you're under pressure, where do you, you know, where do you land? And, you know, uh, the masculine traited ones, they under pressure will land with directiveness and single minded, and we must do. And the more feminine traits, but don't, which don't always land with the uh, with the woman, you know, the feminine traits are the care, the guilt, the the gut feel, the you know those sorts of things that encompassing, which is sometimes why we find it harder to let go. 
going back to camp four. Even under pressure, where we know it's the right choice and the decision, it's harder to let go. It is an interesting thought. Um, and of course, there's a huge journey behind it. But it's an initial conversation. It's interesting to ask yourself, for sure. Who are you under pressure? I'm currently feeling myself into my rucksack that I'm <laughs> having on my back that I'm carrying and what else I could let yeah. go of. So thank you for the inspiration. Yeah. And I'm going to pass that homework actually on. I'm showing my finger here. I'm going to pass that homework on to the listeners as well to think about, do you find yourself in a situation where you say, actually, there are opportunities to let go? Whatever it is, but have a think about how heavy does your rucksack, your back feel? And while you're seeing all the other people walking past you, and what are those things or sometimes even people or negative energy or anything else that you could let go of and why? Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point that you highlighted now. And thank you so much for the second time. So important. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You did mention your mom and your dad. And that was a big part of our conversation that we had before today when we we chatted about your upbringing. Mm. And I have to say, and you're hopefully going to share uh, with us a little bit more about your upbringing. After our call, I felt so upbeat. And I remember, again, I'm mentioning my husband here today a lot, but he he is my go-to person as an entrepreneur, nice. right? I share, with, I share a lot with him right away. And I said to him, oh my God, that was so refreshing because we are two entrepreneurs. Work is on our mind a lot. We are raising a child. And you sometimes wonder what is the impact we might have on him at some point, right? And you have worries, you see opportunities, and so on and so forth. So your story really, really encouraged me. But before I chat more, what is your story of childhood and first career steps? Well, I mean, I've come from an entrepreneurial family. My parents have never had a boss. You know, I, I think deep down we, always, we already know it's my mother, but uh, <laughs> they don't really ever have a boss. So, you know, they they opened up their business straight from university and then they sold that business and then uh, retired when uh, in their late 30s. And of course, I was a small child, so... I've very much been brought up throughout my life in the flow where that life is all encompassing and there's not really any frustration with other people. It's all about discussing the challenges or the things that have gone wrong. How can you, you know, solve this? These are the conversations you subconsciously hear. And you're always surrounded by very energetic, enthusiastic, great people. Because the house also becomes a bit the office, people coming in and out, because it's that sort of startup mentality. I mean, my mum and dad, even when we were having a, had the, the best parties ever. And I even remember thinking that when I was four or five. Best parties, and they used to really understand. But the parties meant more. It was the togetherness that was, we only ever saw fun and excitement. And, you know, the small gifts that, you know, you, you used to give them at the Christmas parties and stuff like this. And it's all that whole thing about that excitement of having the right people in a room. And that, that's never left me. Um, and of course, after retirement, they went on to uh, be the co-founders of Specsavers. And the learnings that 
uh, I had there, if you look at the two companies about the people, you know, they wrote a list of the things that they would never do again in their second business. And that is one where they'll never have sole ownership. And that was the birth of partnership and how to grow by not holding on to it all yourself, uh, including wealth. And that's been a massive journey about collaboration for me, uh, that life isn't hierarchical. It's not that. And even though if somebody asked me when I was 14, what have your parents taught you? I'd be like, absolutely nothing. But because when you're 14, you're a teen. But on reflection, as you get older, you understand that pattern of life and the business, you know, the house being surrounded by people and that wall that being the right people in a room, that stays with you, that sociability, the connection with people. And a lot about the fact there isn't really failure. There's only new phases. You know, like how companies go, oh, oh yes. So didn't we once do that and we don't do it? Oh, that was just a different phase. It's, it's never a failure. It was a phase. Uh, but I think that's such a fresh way of looking at it. Yes. Uh, and self-responsibility. I think that independency and uniting and being a part of something is very, very important. Um, of course, you don't recognize it growing up, but it's the infusion of the culture and the feel of what you're in there. And of course, me and my friends always had uh, Saturday jobs. We could always get jobs picking frames, you see. And I was joked with Mama, I said, pound five p an hour you paid us. She went, you did very well. What? <laughs> But, you know, it, it is about the the contribution to life, to, to whatever. It's about being a part of things. But, of course, you're sort of, you know, working in a, in a sort of culture that you're subconsciously learning some of the most valuable parts of leadership, you know, and that's what you, you take. Of course, there were frustrations and arguments, you know. I was, you know, I can't really say, but, you know, there were frustrations, but it was never, it was never a big thing. It was just part of it. It's hard to describe, but I think that's that feel. And I think that's why I look at the sort of infusion of life of all different roles. And I think it's important that we have time for everything. But um, yeah, some of the big values of leadership were definitely learned through growing up, through the fun of making something as well. You know, that was a great thing fun of creating success well, it's just great I, I love that and my assumption is that my that your parents instilled some of those core values in you because I, I spoke to uh, someone in a previous episode who focuses on family businesses and I understand Specsaver as a partnership they are co-founders yeah. but um uh, he shared a few examples where things can go terribly wrong and we end mm. up and I'm not going to go into the detail but for those of you who watched Succession in more of this kind of situation um, and that's an extreme one uh, and and you look back very fondly to your experiences of living in an entrepreneur's home and learning from it even if the learning started a little bit later I think that's totally yeah oh, I like the word normal but it is normal yeah that happened and I do wonder what else, what are other values or behaviors that were instilled in you that gave you this long lasting passion, joy, growth mindset, everything you've demonstrated so far on this show? Yeah. Well, I think it, it obviously it's consciously, you know, that, that thing of success. But 
So there's very many, there's, there's great lessons that you take with you, um, you know, different people. I mean, I've got two people, two role models to listen to in terms of that. And my father was always, he's always the futurist. He's the one who said, I always know my customer in five years time. And he always said that. He always used to carry a five-year plan around with him in his pocket. And he said, he said, you need to meet people all of the time. And they may not come and join spec service, but you've got to have them in their mind. And you've got to understand that people aren't there in a shop where you can just go, thank you very much. I'll have this person. And he always would, he meets people. How he's, he aligns with values is very important. When he used to see the suppliers right at the beginning, he would always ask to see the successor. He said, because Specsavers was in it for the long run and he needed to make sure that they were and not just going to make money and then sell on. So that was an important value for him. And how he recruited was very, very important. The values were so important to him. He valued recruited long before it became a Harvard thing. He, he always valued. He came back from a holiday once with an IT director. You know, it's like, it's because, you know, we, we share values on this, you know. In the early days, and uh, I think that's that sort of lesson. It's always sits there. That's very very important. And, and from my mother, she's always one stick to the knitting. And I asked her once in the interview. It's on the website. I said, if you had to write a letter to your founding self, what would you write? And she said, well, I would never have told her how big it would be. She'd be far too scared. And I've always remembered that, not for this sort of very humbling approach, but for the fact of that she had a vision. She didn't know how she was going to get there, but she started step by step. And I love that. And that's the story I tell to founders when they feel overwhelmed, is she started step by step and they never took bank loan out. So everything they've done is self-funding uh, in all 14, 15 countries of the world. It's self, self-funding as in them, but fund has gone through and it's funded each other. And I think that sort of that self-responsibility and breaking it down, don't start painting, I need to be in 15 countries because it's what nobody in this world can do that. Step by step towards a vision of change. And she employed people very early on that were better than her. That was it. And I said, how did you challenge and keep that vision and she I always remember it's it's actually on video she goes because I knew I was right and it's not said in an arrogant way it's said in a way that my vision was so clear I just knew it couldn't go wrong I just you know that that channel and I've always respected that from both of them and and I think that's helped me use them as examples you know when I've got young entrepreneurs that are expanding in across countries to say it's step by step stop looking at these countries step by step it will come it will grow uh with the right people so he was they've got such a beautiful example of how they've done it without you know massive scaling but they scaled but step by step and what what you said earlier on with regards to the ads about seven billion, you know, in a second, uh, you hear a lot of these messages. And and sorry to listeners, I know I mention that quite often on the show, but it annoys me. It really bugs me. Mm. And I need to let go of that. Uh, it is however, hard. I think that can influence us and that can scare people. I'm not there yet. We compare ourselves. We put ourselves under unnecessary pressure. We need to be fast, otherwise, someone else is stepping in. But yeah. the step-by-step approach from my humble perspective is one that might be far more sustainable. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is because especially actually I run in the sustainable sort of industry, you need to establish quite a lot of network right early on. So it does feel like step by step and then you're gathering it and then growing it forward. But as I say to, you know, the guys, it's step by step, purpose values into it and then growing it through like this. As you're growing the network, it will uh, expand. And hockey stick life isn't growth, isn't necessarily what is best for sustainability because of the vast ecosystem. And ecosystems contain people, going back to our original point about, you know, why don't great inventions change lives of more people? It's because we rush it and then people miss it. Um, but because the network is grown right from the beginning, you're bringing that mass with you right from the start. And that's what's going to perpetuate growth, in my viewpoint, mm. on sustainable products, i.e. non-app products. <laughs> and again, I'm building that connection to something you mentioned earlier and just deepen that again, what is that message? Um, and that's even when you go out there networking, leave the business jargon, the business to the side and show up as you and have fun. Exactly. Because, you know, people don't can't go to network events saying I'm looking for a founder who's this. They're, they're looking for shared values. You know, people don't go, oh, we must meet up with somebody who's just talking about themselves or their business. They kind of, who are they? Go, oh my gosh, that person was fun. Uh, or that person was easy to talk to, or that was interesting and curious. I sort of say, always leave a networking event uh, with about 10 people who are curious about you, you know, not with one person that knows your life story. You know, be curious, turn up as your, and again, personal purpose and values, very, very important because you have to hold it because as founders, you want people to love that probably baby so quickly, but hold it, hold it, make them curious. I, as a top tip, I always say, you're out with a friend at the bar. And you're on your first drink and you want a second. And they ask you, hey, what do you do? Reply like that at networking. Because if you bore your friend, you will not be getting a second drink. <laughs> Make them curious. I, I wanted to say, and the same applies to dates. <laughs> don't want to go say, into... You don't turn up to a date in your wedding dress. <laughs> <Slightly. laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Love that quote, though. I think that's that's a good one for people to remember. And any that's <laughs> I have one more question for you. Um, so many, but for today, I have one more. Also, earlier on, you said you loved your career. Mm. You have led the expansion of Specsavers in the Netherlands in particular. You clearly love what you do right now. But what is it overall that you loved about it? Because as you mentioned, there are not too many people who say, I loved every part of my career. I think it's because it was very interesting. I had such exposure to the cliff face, and that was very important for me. Uh, I knew who I was. I liked building things. I liked creating, uh, creating things. And even when it didn't go well, even when going back to that failure and growing up in an entrepreneurial family, it was a phase, it's a challenge. You can really use that to understand and not regret anything, not bring burdens with you. You know, could you have done it better? Crikey, absolutely. It's 25 years. Of course, I did some things great and some things not. But what I've learned to do is to really learn from those moments of not 
so that there's no burden. If people ask me going, hey, how was the career? I don't go, oh, it was really good apart from 1998 and a half. You know, it's like this. Because you can actually accept that some of the challenges are learning moments and, and to make it into something, I'm joking about the phases. I, didn't, I don't go failure phase, but, you know, you can start to really understand that it's actually the combination of, so you enjoy it. You can't just enjoy the good times because it's just not realistic. Um, and I used to sort of say expect things. You can't just enjoy the record weeks of sales. You have to enjoy the journey. And I think that when we're looking towards purpose and values and our fulfillment of ourselves and what we do, it's a journey. And if we only learn to love what goes right, it's just going to be too challenging for us because it doesn't always go. You have to learn to love the journey. And that would be what I do. So when I say I've had the most amazing career, it's not because, you know, I'm skipping through the Dutch tulips on a regular basis at all. Yeah. It was tough. But what I've learned to do is understand that life and fulfillment and stuff is the journey. And that journey is about learning and moving forward. Uh, but actually, I am lucky because 80 percent of the time I was at the cliff face and it was exciting. You know, that challenge I was surrounded by amazing people. And that's something that I truly cherish. Ah, gosh, I want to take loads of your energy with me here today. And I hope to you all out there listening to today's episode, I hope you got a lot of that energy as well. And you can put some of it into action to build greater fulfillment for yourself whatever that means in your world. Julie, I am pretty sure people either want to get in touch with you right away, want to learn more about all the great stuff you're doing, learn about the island games, whatever it is. But where can people find out more about you? Well, uh, my website's wiseminds.com and it's wise with a Y because somebody very young told me that if I spelled it with an I, I sounded really old. Uh, so I know, but I thought, you're yeah, right. So I put it with a Y. So it's wiseminds.com. So website. And of course, I'm on social channels, LinkedIn, uh, uh, Judy Perkins, as well as Wise Minds uh, on LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, or just reach out on email. All my details are on LinkedIn, but it'd be great to talk about you know, any solutions, any challenges, a virtual coffee, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I am there. Lovely. I have no doubt you will get quite a few messages from the people. Julie, it's been an amazing um, pleasure to have you here. Such a great time chatting away. Thank you for doing all those fabulous things that you are doing, supporting so many female founders out there and volunteering at other events at the Island Games amongst those. So thank you for being you, for being on this show today. Uh, it's been a joy. Thank you very much for having me, Kathy. It's been brilliant and uh, wonderful to sit as, and talk about something I'm so passionate about as well. So I see it's a very precious hour and a bit. Yeah. And to all of you out there today, I'm not going to give you any additional reflection because think about your rucksack. Think about that package. That is, I think, enough for today. And as always, let us know your thoughts, your feedback, any questions you may have as a result of this uh, or listening to this episode. Can't wait to hear from you. Have a wonderful remaining day, rest of the week and speak to you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.